Welcome to Breakout Investors. Today we are speaking with the management of Iridex, ticker IRIX, specifically the company's CEO, Dave Bruce. Joining me in today's call is Breakout Investor, Aaron Warwick. This call is being recorded on September 9th, 2021, and will be distributed via the Breakout Investor channel on YouTube and via our podcasting network. Look for Breakout Investor content wherever you subscribe to podcasts. We are on Apple, Spotify, Audible, and most other platforms. Supporting materials for today's discussion will be posted on the Breakout Investor Collaboration app, which is located at app.breakoutinvestors.com. The application and much of the research content is free. After registering or logging in, use the search bar at the top right of any page. Type in the ticker and the results will give you a link to the research post for this presentation and to other discussion and research relating to today's company. Those of you already on the Breakout Investor platform can share your questions for the company using the Discuss tab in Aaron's Breakout Room. So let's get started with me handing the call over to Aaron, who will speak briefly about his interest in Eardex and then turn the call over to management. Aaron? Hey, thank you, Josh, and thank you, Dave, for being on here today, taking your time for us. I've been following the company for probably, oh, 12 to 18 months now. Uh, very excited about what's going on, uh, especially after the TopCon deal was announced, and I'm sure we'll hear more about that today and, and have some qu uh, questions related to that. Uh, but really, I don't want to say much by way of introduction. We'll let uh, the CEO, Dave Bruce, uh, take it from here, giving us uh, a 10-15 minute overview of the company, and then we can kind of uh, bore down into some of the questions that people have submitted and that I also have uh, myself about the company. So thank you, Dave. Great. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I'll go through about a 10 or 15 minutes overview of the company, and then happy to go into greater detail uh, through the Q&A session. So you um, should be able to see on the screen the Iridex investor presentation. Uh, very briefly, uh, this is a public disclosure, so we'll be making some forward-looking statements, and those are protected under the Safe Harbors Act, as you guys have seen numerous times. I'll start off with a financial snapshot just to look at the high level of the economics of the company. We recently announced our second quarter results of about $13.4 million, uh, obviously up substantially. 116% over the trough quarter from COVID back in, in second quarter of 2020. And we finished last year with 36 million in revenue. That 13.4 million actually was a recent history record for the company. And it's a combination of both recovery off, off the trough of, of COVID restrictions, the addition of the Pascal business from TopCon plus new record growth in our glaucoma probes segment and, and recovery in our in our retina businesses as well. So it was really quite a, a strong quarter and just underscores the activities we've focused on all the way through the COVID period to, to move the company into a stronger position. Uh, just by way of history, the company's actually been around for 30 years, got its start as the solid state laser provider for ophthalmology. Before that, they were large dishwasher sized uh, devices with gases and heating and cooling and um, uh, the switch to solid state lasers allowed it to be kind of a tabletop type of device. And, and Iridex was the leader in that and introduced a number of uh, innovations over time and has really been recognized as, as a market and a, both a technology and clinical leader. But over the years, laser technology has matured. There's a lot of competitors that retina focus of the original business. Now we've expanded to glaucoma uh, as well. And I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go, but I'm primarily going to talk about the opportunity in glaucoma. That's our biggest growth opportunity and it's a disposable product. So the, the graph below shows the increase in glaucoma revenue as a part of our mix from the introduction, which was late in 2015 uh, really got going in 2016. So we're up to about 30% from uh, glaucoma revenue from essentially zero. Um, on the right-hand side, you can see we're uh, about a 50-50 split in the U.S. and outside the U.S. in terms of revenue, and about a 50-50 split of recurring revenue and systems revenue. So between glaucoma probes, we also have retina probes, all our disposables, we have a, a strong service business and some royalties that come in that make up that recurring revenue piece. But at 50 percent, 
um, we're, we're quite pleased with that, and we see glaucoma probe growth, our biggest growth driver, and so that recurring revenue should grow as a portion of our total revenue. Uh, our guidance for 2021, we raised at the end after we reported the second quarter, it's 50 to 52 million of revenue. We also target the Cyclo G6 probe sales of 58 to 60,000 and laser systems, glaucoma systems, at 250 to 275 units. Uh, Aaron mentioned the strategic collaboration with TopCon. We announced this in March, and what, what made sense about this agreement was several things. Number one, uh, it delivered us a significant uh, chunk of capital, which, um, which we needed to drive our longer-term growth, of particularly in the glaucoma segment, but also on the retina side and invest in uh, new products and, and actually newer um, technologies. It combined two competitors in the high end of the what's called the scanning laser segment of retina treatment. Uh, scanning lasers basically lay down an array of treatment spots instead of a, a point by point treatment. So they're more efficient and can cover uh, a precise area for the uh, retina specialist to, to treat and avoid the fovea and other areas where they um, where they don't want to deliver energy. And it also added to our revenue and also our scale of design, manufacturing, and marketing. We um, brought in a business that was about eight and a half million of revenue, wholesale revenue, by measure um, in, the, in the year 2019. So that increased our retina revenue by about 20%. So all in all, it was a, a strong deal for us. And what was in it for TopCon was access to disposables business, uh, obviously a consolidation of the scanning laser Pascal product into our entity, which was a bigger overall entity to drive those efficiencies, and then a partnership to actually approach their common, our common customers, the retina and glaucoma specialists, where they were primarily selling diagnostic equipment and, uh, and one treatment modality, the laser system, now we've got the laser systems, a broader set of, of laser systems, and the glaucoma probe treatment, which is a, a recurring revenue opportunity that's quite attractive to TopCon. The deal itself was, was a really good one for Iridex. It, it totaled about 19.5 million to Iridex. Of that, 10 million was an equity investment by TopCon at market price which at the time was $6.18 a share. And, and that netted to approximately 10.4% of the equity in Iridex. Um, we did give them registration rights and filed that S3 uh, during the second quarter. Um, they also purchased distribution rights to all Iridex products in areas where they were strong, uh, primarily Asia Pacific and uh, Europe, EMEA area. There were some um, country areas that we kept, but we basically went through our, our uh, joint distributor lists and, and tried to pick the strongest distributors in those areas where TopCon wasn't, wasn't direct. And then we also purchased the Pascal product line. The net of that, those two transactions was nine and a half million to Iridex and that totals out to 19.5 million. Um, Onto the business themselves, we're in we're in two key areas: glaucoma treatment and and the retina treatment market. And I'm going to turn the focus to glaucoma care. Um, as you know, glaucoma is a non-curable and progressive disease. So once you're diagnosed, you need a series of treatments uh, uh, through the really the rest of of the glaucoma patient's life. The treatments are around reducing intraocular pressure or controlling intraocular pressure, which in turn limits the damage to the optic nerve and, and that narrowing of field of vision that is, is the core of uh, glaucoma disease. We've been around for about five years now, and we believe we've proven the glaucoma model. And our opportunity is really to convert that initial traction into significant market penetration. Our solution is unique. Uh, 
it's non-incisional and it allows the physicians to control intraocular pressure and really defer the need for more aggressive surgical procedures, incisional type procedures. And you can see on this graph, their choices are really, uh, as you move from left to right, from mild to more serious, and then what end stage they call refractory glaucoma. They start off with drugs and a laser treatment called SLT, uh, which we offer a version um, called MLT, micropulse laser trabeculoplasty. In the, in the moderate stage patients, if they need a cataract procedure, they may do uh, a MIGS procedure. That's um, glaucosa is the leader in that segment. Uh, most all of those are concomitant with cataract surgery. So once you make the incision, it makes sense to go in and then um, place a device or open the um, outflow pathways. And then the more severe surgeries where you're actually uh, changing the internal structure, trabeculectomies, you're inserting a tube shunt that basically uh, both of these leave a little bit of an opening in the eye. So they're quite uh, invasive in terms of need to revisit the doctor on a regular basis, can't wear contact lenses, go swimming and those kinds of things. And then the end stage Basically, vision is so poor, you're just doing things to relieve pain. We actually have a treatment that's more mature called um, transcleral cyclophotocoagulation. Uh, a lot of big syllable words in ophthalmology. Um, uh, this is a continuous wave, high energy treatment that basically burns up the productive cells that create the aqueous fluid. So the front portion of the eye uh, has cells that produce fluid, it flows through, and then flows out a pathway. Uh, most of glaucoma pressure increases are because the outflow pathway is restricted and, and all of the treatments are around, um, primarily around opening those outflows. Our micropulse, what we call transcleral laser therapy, fits in that continuum of moderate to refractory. We've got a non-incisional approach that lasts you know, 18 to 24 months and is repeatable, uh, and that buys anywhere from that you know, one to five or six years of uh, runway for those patients before they need the more aggressive surgeries. The physicians have responded very positively to this offering, and it's one of the reasons we sold a lot of systems in the first couple of years. Our challenge and our opportunity is to drive adoption and higher percentage of patients where our procedure is used. And that's been a, a big part of our focus and some of the shifts that I put in place when I joined the company about two, a little over two years ago. Um, so it's a relatively simple procedure. Um, you can see the physician there holding our handheld probe. That's a disposable device. That yellow uh, fiber connects to the laser system in the right-hand side. And basically, the physician paints that energy into the whites of the eye through the sclera into the ciliary body, which is structured behind that. Um, I mentioned the durability and the repeatability and the applicability across a broad disease range and a broad severity range. And so we, we think that there's a very large portion of that continuum of patients that ultimately uh, can and should and, uh, enjoy our treatment in the course of their continuum of care. Clinically, we've got huge amount of evidence now. We came the 510K pathway, so we did not do a uh, what, what uh, other devices need to do, a randomized trial, but we have over 32 peer-reviewed papers now, um, posters and presentations, the number of eyes that we have in studies um, that have been in peer-reviewed papers dwarfs the number that are done in these kinds of um, PMA trials. Those are typically a couple of hundred um, patients. So demonstrated durability, safety, versatility across glaucoma types and stages. We're very comfortable with that, but there's still more evidence to be gotten, and we have uh, a number of programs to, to drive that um, clinical evidence base. I mentioned um, the repeatability. We have um, one study that's out 78 months, so six and a half years, that enjoyed about a 40% IOP reduction. These were more severe patients. More severe patients tend to have higher IOPs, uh, intraocular pressures. 
Um, uh, but in this particular case, over the course of that six and a half years, those patients received 3.6 treatments, which is about every 20 months or so. So uh, this demonstrates that opportunity for a runway and repeat demand. So, you know, an individual patient may undergo up to three procedures. We don't know what the limit is, but in, but in this case, it demonstrated three plus. Um, talk a little bit about the market opportunity and, and kind of the striation of, of the treatment specialists as well as the severity. So there's about 6 million or so patients in the U.S., and I'll talk about OUS after this. Um, most of them, uh, as you can imagine, are mild to moderate stage. Our biggest strength right now has been in the more advanced stage, and then we have the, the G-probe product, which is that um, end stage. Uh, as we move toward the moderate stage patient, there's a number of um, things we need to do. Number one, we need more data on that set of patients. We're reasonably strong with the glaucoma specialists, but we also have to move to the comprehensive ophthalmologist who basically manages all comers. Um, they do the bulk of the cataract procedures. And the moderate stage patients, whether using our procedure in conjunction with cataracts, or for the comprehensive ophthalmologist patients that either already had a cataract surgery or don't need one now, we offer them an ability to, to maintain that pressure before they refer them on to a glaucoma specialist. So we, we're at about a 30,000 probe run rate in the U.S. and have about 900 systems installed. If you look at that against 2.4 million eyes in the moderate to uh, a more advanced base and about 4,000 ASCs and hospital ORs, about 10,000 physicians. That's the scope of, of where our treatments um, can be applied. And so we have what we consider to be still quite low penetration into that. And so our big growth opportunity is from expanding the penetration from the, say, you know, failed trabeculectomies and tubes to being a moderate stage pre-incisional treatment that is one, two, three, or more treatments before you advance to um, more severe and restrictive surgeries. You do the math on about a 200 to $250 ASP on the probes, and um, you can get to about a 500 million probe opportunity um, we're doing uh, about 10 million or so worldwide, so about 5 million in the U.S. Um, again, this is a total potential, uh, but, but at only a 10% penetration into that segment is, is a 10x increase against what we're doing today. To put that in perspective, I mentioned SLT, selective laser trabecular plasty. That's a early stage treatment. In fact, there was just a study that demonstrated it was equivalent to drops for a first-line treatment. So that has been around for about 20 years, so certainly reached clinical maturity. There's about 600,000 of those procedures done in the U.S. If you progress toward moderate-stage patients, you're going to take a haircut on the total number of potential patients, but you use a multiplier of you know two or three treatments, and you know four hundred thousand you know call it four hundred thousand patients at clinical clinical maturity for our TLT procedure, and and the numbers can get quite large. Um, that's the opportunity we're chasing, and our focus is on moving up that penetration curve and providing the physicians what they need to drive adoption and and get confidence in this procedure. Outside the U.S., the, the numbers of patients is larger. Typically, it's about two times the U.S. opportunity. We sell through distributors, so our, our ASP will be lower. The economics of some of these countries are less attractive for these kinds of procedures, but still, um, same kind of a probe opportunity at even a smaller penetration into that segment. So. Uh, four and a half million eyes, may call it, you know, maybe 150 million or, uh, or sorry, $150 at a wholesale price. Um, some haircut against those four and a half million eyes, but some multiplier for a number of treatments per patient. You know, the high, the, the upper end of the opportunity can get squishy, but again, it's it's so large compared to our current run rate that uh, we're we're focused on execution and driving adoption.
we have a number of commercialization initiatives. We um, recently split the sales team at the beginning of this year. We had been hybrid in the U.S. where we're direct, so they sold both glaucoma and retina. We split and increased the sales teams about 50%. So we have 12 dedicated glaucoma reps and now six dedicated retina reps in the U.S. plus some support members of those teams in about 60 countries um, around the world uh, and distributors that sell. We're direct in a few areas like Germany, but, but primarily um, through distributors. We're very focused on education and training. Uh, when I joined, we really were focused on shifting from what had been more of a capital equipment sales model, um, go to a lot of sites, get them to buy the system, train them up a little bit, and then move on and do it at the next place. And we were quite successful at that, but we were not getting the adoption. We weren't getting the physicians to actually um, use it on a greater and greater number of patients. So we're much more focused now on, on a process we call validation, where we go in and work with them on training, try to demonstrate to them on their own patient base the outcomes that are consistent with what they read in the papers and that it fits for their practice. And that's time consuming, but we're willing to make that effort because it's the right thing at this stage of the market. Um, numerous seminars and webinar approaches, particularly in the COVID period when we had thousands of physicians joining our conference, our calls. Um, we're building KOL support and um, broadening our clinical trials and have a pretty healthy social media outreach, primarily in the clinical community. We're not as focused on, on trying to drive patients to our physicians. We're trying to broaden the physician user base before we are driving patients to ask their physicians because we don't want um, a non-user to say, ah, it's not right for you. So that will come um, and we are seeing uh, a good response across most of our social media outreach. And then we continue to evolve the product. You always learn after you launch an initial product what improvements you need to make. Um, we found those and, and last year we rolled out an enhanced version of the probe. Very, very positive response to that in terms of simplifying the technique and, and more consistency in delivering the energy. Our, our selling process is on, on paper, it, it looks, okay, yeah, doesn't everybody do this? Uh, but, but the reality is targeting the right people in an early adoption is critical. Otherwise, you burn all your time trying to convince somebody who's maybe a later stage adopter and you just can never get there. Um, we have a, a clear set of uh, clinical evidence in terms of efficacy, safety, and durability that if the physician buys into that, which we call commitment to benefit, we do what we call a validation process, a representative sample of their patients, maybe 10 to 12. We'll, we'll work with them, track it over time, because you really don't see the result for about 30 days. And what we found was physicians would remember the handful of patients that the results weren't what they expected, which by the way is the case in virtually everything in glaucoma. Everything eventually fails and everything has a batting average. Uh, but what we wanted to do was demonstrate to them the statistics on their own patients. And then we're not done when we prove to them it works, that we have to change their practice. And that's what we call uh, conversion. When the patient comes through as, you know, they're on a couple of drops, their pressures are elevating, they need something more, are they recommending our procedure at that point? And, and so those are the steps we go through in, in driving this adoption. So um, we, we think there's a significant market opportunity in the non-incisional glaucoma segment that our initial penetration demonstrates that the market demand is there and our proofs uh, are, are proving out. Our big success will be financial returns through growth in the high margin disposables probe segment. And just very briefly on the retinal side of things, it's still about two thirds of our revenue. Uh, we have a broad line there. I described earlier that we have a kind of the premium position uh, but it is a more mature and price competitive area. Um, we, we do think that by um, bringing in the Pascal product line, we've improved both the scale and, uh, and the leverage in, in the operating platform. And below here, just one of the innovations we've brought to the marketplace, MicroPulse technology actually started on the retina side of things. 
to deliver the same clinical outcomes with much less damage to the tissue. And, uh, and we've applied that in, in, in a slightly different way, but um, the same uh, reduced energy delivery that gives uh, an effective treatment without um, significant damage or complications. Um, I won't go through this slide, but you know the full gamut of um, business activity and support, clinical trials, uh, and um, customer base in in the highly reputable area. Most people have Iridex products and are are positively biased toward us as a replacement. Longer term, we will continue to develop new system platforms. We've talked about some of those. Uh, I've, I've mentioned the long runway for non-incisional glaucoma treatment, broader country approvals. We still haven't gotten approval in China yet. It's been a bit frustrating for us, but we think we're in the, in the last legs of that. And then we think there are significant opportunities in additional, what we call delivery devices. Laser energy may be somewhat generic at this stage, but where you apply it and how you deliver it is, is still an opportunity, and we think there are a number of new areas where we can bring, bring that and evolve the delivery devices um, to create new opportunities for ourselves. So I'll stop there. Thank you very much. And uh, Aaron, happy to clarify things or, or answer any questions. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Great job. A lot of detail there. Appreciate that. Um, I, I'll pick up where you kind of left off in terms of potential new products. Do you have any of those in the pipeline now, or is that something that you're you know, looking at more like three to five years down the line? Well, we're working on a number of areas. As I mentioned, we think that um, delivering uh, laser energy, which is, is really uh, you know, just a different kind of surgery, that's um, much less invasive, but still, you know, you're, you're treating tissue and you're, you're changing the mechanics. There are, there are a number of areas where we think that those apply and we're actively working on those. Um, we are evolving our delivery devices for the glaucoma procedure. I mean, today you use a handheld probe and you sweep it across the eye to deliver energy at a certain rate to the tissue. So we're, we're essentially heating up that tissue, shrinking it and creating outflow based on modifications to the tissue. Um, there are a number of ways to do that. For example, if you look at eczema lasers for uh, PRK or now LASIK, those are very automated. They have eye trackers, they have uh, computer-driven algorithms that basically change your corrective uh, lens on your cornea, um, and the physician does nothing. Um, we, we don't see going that far, but we think there are ways to automate the energy delivery and simplify and make the procedure more consistent, and we're working in those areas. And then on the system side, we've talked about a platform with um, a Chinese partner to to basically give us a much more attractive price point. As I, as I mentioned, the retina side of the business is pr price competitive. Um, there are a number of players in that segment and, uh, and reducing costs, enhancing scale is, is a key part of success in that segment as well. And of yeah, course, with of that, the combination yeah. of the Pascal product with our Iridex products, um, for example, putting Micropulse on the Pascal platform, next generation of a Pascal platform. It takes advantage of a lot of the things that Topcon does, which, um, you know, they have a, uh, a stated um, strategy of tying together their diagnostic equipment for patient management, and that can continue to the treatment mode and parameters as well. So tapping into a system that can bring in some of the diagnostics and then output the, the surgical results back into that patient record all um, uh, either over the cloud or electronically um, is an opportunity for us as well. Yeah, the good. Thank, thank you. That was one of the questions I had was about, you know, how you're going to integrate those products. And I would think, I mean, are you, is it, you said it is uh, pretty competitive in terms of pricing. Uh, two things on that. Number one, are you seeing, uh, a little less pressure now that you and, and Topcon, the number one and I believe number two players in this in this field have combined. And then number two, 
uh, it goes back to China. Uh, I think you guys had mentioned in your last uh, 10K, maybe it was in there before that, but I know the last one it, uh, about uh, opening up a, a line, assembly line in uh, Wuhan. And wh what's the status of that? And, and what do you expect, you know, financially, the, the benefits from that? Yeah, so, so we have a partner in Wuhan where we're co-developing a platform. They're, they're in the laser business. They have a number of different segments, um, but not ophthalmology. So we're working that with them to kind of take advantage of the, the platform that they have. It's a cost-reduced version for us, but uh, you know, fully featured. We've already introduced the first version of that product uh, into the retina segment. It's 810 nanometers, which is infrared. That's not the big workhorse of, of retina treatment. That's um, yellow and green lasers, 532 and 577. And the differences in those has to do with what tissues of the eye the light transmits through more readily, and then where is it absorbed? Uh, so you want the, the um, lower frequencies, the 532 and 57, or higher frequencies, 532 and 577 nanometers to um, go through all the aqueous fluid, the vitreous fluid, and um, be absorbed on the retina. Um, with the 810, you want it absorbed in the more proximal tissue, and that's why we use, for example, 810 we use for glaucoma, and then there are some what we call endoprobes that are single-use devices for vitreous surgery. That's the back part of the eye. Uh, and, and we've introduced the platform there. So we will um, later in the year roll out uh, the 532 and the 577. And, uh, and that's the nature of our partnership with uh, the group in Wuhan. Do you expect uh, financial benefits to be, I mean, in, in, uh, if you can give us some sort of a little bit of precision on that. It, you know, I would assume that it's going to improve the margins uh, compared to. Yes. I think we're operating in Silicon Valley, but how how much do you think? Yeah. So the um, uh, the drivers of uh, margin on those is um, it, we we think it can drop our costs in the twenty percent range for those products, and, and and potentially more. Partly depends on scale and and how we right. finalize those products. And so that should increase our gross margins, uh, or we use that lower cost, uh, improve our margins somewhat, but we be more aggressive in pricing. So capture a larger share because our pricing is more attractive. It's really you know doing the math of about total right. um, gross margin dollars, right? You know how much right. more do you get with the price sensitivity of reduction? Sure. Hard to predict on that stuff, but you know this gives us one extra layer. But we we did do the math and I think we announced this on one of the conference calls that when we get this proliferated across our line, it should be about a million and a half plus of gross margin improvement if pricing stayed the same over the volumes of those laser systems. And again, those laser systems probably are in the um, you know, 15 to 20 million of revenue. So there's laser systems. There's also delivery devices that are capital equipment. So uh, there's a headset that's called uh, LIO, Laser Indirect Ophthalmoscope, um, you know, a number of different areas, but specifically for the laser box itself. It's um, it's a potentially a 10% improvement in margins on those products. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so what can you talk a little bit about the competitive landscape um, in both retina and glaucoma, uh, some of your largest, I guess, domestic and international competitors yeah. in both of those markets? So, um, yeah, so internationally, there are a lot more competitors. Uh, you know, laser technology is is mature. Most of the patents have run off, so it's, it's not that difficult to enter that segment. Um, we, we enjoy uh, a preference, I'll say, um, having been the innovator, our reliability has been fantastic and you know we've been there for the physicians worldwide. So we get a premium price, but, but there's a limit to how much of a premium you can enjoy before they say, okay, well, we, we're gonna go with the, the other player because we're saving that much more. And, and that's the battle we tend to fight. There are some, um, uh, strong competitors with good products that um, with, that we battle against, and um, are they Popcon, doing the same thing Popcon as you? Popcon was one of those, and yeah. so 
um, you know, by combining with them and joining forces, um, yes, we take down the competitiveness in that space. Um, the other key competitor in that segment is Quantel and LX, which combined actually um, uh, last year. And so, you know, they, they still seem to be operating with two discrete products, but, uh, you know, let's see how that evolves. But definitely the, the top players have consolidated in that segment, and um, you know, that may help in terms of uh, competitiveness. Are they doing the exact same thing as you, though, or is it more complementary? I mean, because I know that, like, even, you know, eye drops. I mean, technically, they're a competitor, but then, you know, on the other hand, it's a totally different technology. So what, you know, even though they're using laser, are they doing the same thing, or is there a difference between? Yeah, no, I was referring to the um, the retina side of the marketplace. On the glaucoma side, we're pretty unique. Um, there are a lot of choices for ophthalmologists. That's probably the biggest challenge. Uh, you know, there's the history of this is how I was trained. This is the way I do it. I'm not ready to change yet. Um, and then there's those, you know, this kind of goes into the whole crossing the chasm uh, discussion about who are the early adopters and the early majority and how do you get to them and how do you convince them? And we're working through those pathways. And so, uh, you know, I mentioned targeting is in our selling process. We take that very seriously because we have to be successful with these people. You know, we don't want our sales reps to chase someone because they're an opportunity in front of them, but they're just, they burn all their time. And, and that's the only real resource at the end of the day that we have. And so we want to spend it efficiently uh, in the selling process. But the non-incisional piece is pretty unique for us. Um, internationally, we do have a couple of people who have knocked off our device. Um, they don't. Uh, they don't have a significant share at this time. They've got no clinical evidence behind it. And you know, for those physicians who say, "Oh, you say it's a, it's the same," okay, fine, I'll do that. You know, we've had a couple people talk about, you know, using the other devices and then coming back to ours. Uh, look, as you penetrate a big opportunity like this you're never going to keep 100% of that marketplace. Right. But as as you grow that segment and you keep the competitors to a relatively small share, in one sense, having others out there promoting the segment actually helps increase the size of the market. So, sure. so we're not, uh, we're not, I mean, obviously we, we want to capture as much as we can, but but growing the market faster and maintaining a dominant share of it is the is in our interest. Sure. What a, um, so kind of speaking back to the eye drops that I had mentioned earlier, uh, and, and the glaucoma side, um, yes. we're, we're seeing changes, uh, shouldn't have said to the drops, but in terms of the different complementary products, um, or offerings, just, uh, potential solutions, uh, we've seen, uh, uh, CMS recently change the MIGS reimbursement and just wondering, you know, how that might, how you think that's going to impact you guys in terms of the size of, of. Uh, the U.S. domestic G6 probe opportunity, uh, you know, in the, in the near and longer term. Yeah. Um, you know, we think of the opportunity in terms of the number of patients going through these different stages. So, you know, in that moderate stage uh, area, obviously, you know, the number of patients is the number of patients. However, the MIGS procedure has had now, give them credit. They had very strong reimbursement for their products, and right. and there is an economic incentive for the physician community to to use that um, use that technology. If they're going to do a cataract procedure, why not throw it in and uh, and get paid handsomely for it? In fact, the reimbursement was so good that the primary procedure was the glaucoma procedure and the secondary procedure was a cataract procedure. So the way CMS um, works is is quite convoluted, but um, in some of these, they're com combination, and in some of them, they're two different procedures, and they pay the second one at 50% of the normal reimbursement since it's done at the same time. So the CMS change was specifically to the, the placement of the... Um, Filter devices, so the eye stent from from Glaucos, for example, was was one of them that bills under that code. That one was a combination code, and at the end of the day, 
the physicians got an extra $500 to spend three minutes putting um, two plugs in through the same incision hole that they did the cataract procedure. CMS is proposing to drop that incremental reimbursement to $30. Um, that's going to take a big incentive yeah. away, and they're also going to reduce the uh, facility fee, which was which was quite healthy as well. Yeah. So we we think that is going to shift people back to, well, what's what's you know what what's what else is economically attractive? And our procedure is the physicians get about four hundred dollars and the facility fee of about eight hundred or so. So net of buying the probe. No, you're pushing a thousand dollars, and obviously they have other costs for what's a ten to fifteen minute procedure. So, so it's a pretty attractive economic opportunity in the U.S., uh, but it's also a, a more attractive clinical opportunity. There's a lot of literature demonstrates the, for example, I'll stick with the glucose just to keep the example consistent. That delivers about two millimeter of mercury reduction, um, and actually the cataract procedure itself reduces pressure. And, and to a greater extent. So let's say you're doing a patient in their low 20 millimeters of mercury interocular pressure, you wanna get them down to 16 or so, you might get two from the eye stent and four from the cataract procedure. Um, in our case, a lot of the literature demonstrates for those you know, 20, 22 or so, we're getting a 30% reduction. So we're getting that full 16 uh, down to that full 16 just from ours. So we think clinically we're more attractive and now economically the incentive is is smaller to um, to use those other devices. Now internationally, um, you know, I know it, it can be quite a bit different, uh, but what I wanted to kind of focus on there is uh, in terms of how the consolidation is, is going in terms of the number of distributors. Uh, that you did have before. I think you had like 60 international distributors and now you and, and Topcon are consolidating. Just give us some uh, idea of how that transition is, is going right now. Sure. So, um, so, so we sold the rights. Uh, it's 10-year exclusivity to distribute Iridex products. They will continue to distribute um, in, in their areas the Pascal product. And then in the rest of the world where we retain our distribution through our existing distributors. We'll also distribute the Pascal products there. So it's about 60% of our OUS business is going to go through Topcon. Okay. Uh, and, and then obviously we'll take Pascal in the U.S. as well. So that's about 30% of our total revenue. Now, in, in terms of the distributors, some in the smaller um, countries, they had distributors as well, we would consolidate based on, I'll call it the best distributor. Um, so a lot of our existing distributors will roll under Topcon and they'll just oh, buy okay. through Topcon. Okay. So it's it's not as large a transition as thinking, oh shoot, what are you gonna do? with converting right. over 60 um, different okay. distributors. Now in, in some of the That's big countries, they are direct. And so, you know, bigger European countries where they're direct, we have to bring them up to speed both on the, you know, the broader range of retina products because they had a scanning laser, which is kind of the high end, um, but we have a much broader range. We have um, the endoprobe disposable probes on the retina side, and we have to bring them up to speed on glaucoma probes and, and treatment for glaucoma. They're very strong in diagnostics and have great relationships with the physicians. Now they have to go in and, um, and talk um, treatment and support cases, you know, similar along the way that I described for our, our U.S. model. And we're working closely with them to bring them up to speed. Look, it's always hard to predict the transitions. And from the beginning, we said, look, we have to manage it. And there may be hiccups, there may not be hiccups. But, um, you know, it's, it's for the longer term strategic upside of a, a bigger, stronger, collaborative network and we'll work through the short term. So, you know, quarter by quarter is tougher to mm -hmm. make a prediction and a forecast. Now, that said, we had a very strong second quarter. Right. But partly that was, you know, call it a bit of a last gasp from some of the existing people who were going away. And uh, 
And so the, the way we manage the transition is we announced the deal. Um, we worked with both Topcon and our, 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 our current slash former distributors and um, work out a transition timing and then hand over the distribution rights to Topcon. And so that was going on through the second quarter and here into the third quarter. And uh, so a combination of that transition going on, plus, um, you know, a lot of training efforts and, um, you know, ramp down of inventory, ramp up of inventory on, on the new distributor side. Where does that timing come in? It just can be turbulence. So, you know, we're, um, we're not so worried about that. We're worried about any lost business, but we're not worried about, okay, it fell in the second quarter, it fell in the third quarter, it fell in the fourth quarter. Um, we're very confident that it's going well in terms of their desire and demand to um, come up to speed. Uh, they invested in our company and they bought the rights to distribute. They're serious about being successful here. And, right, uh, right. We're very confident in that. Hey, uh, we have uh, one of our participants here uh, wanted to ask a question. Maj Sweden from uh, Geo Investing. He's been following you guys as well. So, Maj, if you want to uh, unmute yourself and. Sure. Hi, Maj. Hey, hey, thanks, Aaron. Yeah. How you doing, Dave? Good, um, good. Quick question. Um, I was wondering, and maybe you, I jumped out a little late. Um, to the call, maybe you discussed it, but if you didn't, I want to, um, if you could go through maybe the patient engagement um, kind of process with a doctor and how your your solution becomes prescribed as a solution for um, a patient, what that looks like, and, and cost-wise, too, why would a doctor want to prescribe your, you know, use your um, solution for also in that whole? Sure, sure. Um, so, uh, there's a number of areas, and one of those early slides I showed had the um, kind of that continuum of different kinds of treatments that occur. Um, the, the thing about glaucoma is whatever you do, it only lasts for a certain period of time. So it's a progressive disease. So if you start off with drops, you may run for a couple of years and control the pressure, but then it starts to rise again. So you add a second drop, and maybe you add a third drop. Uh, and that continues. And, and at some point you're saying, oh, well, we need to do your cataract procedure. So at the same time, we can do, you know, one or two of these kinds of MIGS minimally invasive surgeries at the time we've made that incision and, and we'll buy some, some, some time. So we think of this kind of continuum of 20 or even 30 years when patients get diagnosed in their you know, 50s or 60s and live to their 70s, 80s, or 90s, you're going through this sequence of treatments. Uh, where, where we started, um, we always had this treatment at the late stage that basically burned up the cells that produce the fluid. So the front of the eye, you produce fluid, it flows through and then flows out. Kind of like a, a trickle to, to keep the pond from getting stagnant, so to speak. And, and glaucoma pressure rises because typically the outflow is a problem. But in late stage, you just you just burn up the cells that produce the fluid, and uh, um, you don't want to do that unless you know you're kind of at the at the last stages. Um, with with our TLT procedure, using uh, what we call micropulse technology, that basically shrinks up the ciliary body, which is a structure behind the whites of the eye, the sclera, and that opens up the outflow. And it lasts, you know, two years or so, uh, or a year and a half to two years, and is repeatable. So there's a, you know, anywhere from two to five year runway that you can create for these patients before you get to the more severe surgical procedures beyond the MIGS procedures. And so right now, trabeculectomies, tube shunts, which are those later stage procedures, those fail. We're getting usage, regular usage there. People considered it initially kind of this late stage light type of procedure. But as the clinical evidence comes in for 30% pressure reductions, pristine safety profile, durability, that's a natural for the moderate stage patient. And so a lot of our work is around um, demonstrating that to the physicians. So when that patient comes through, 
Um, they've been, let's say they're on two drops and their pressures are rising. Doctor says, Mosh, we, <laughs> your pressures are rising. We got to do something. Uh, I think our next step is this um, translateral laser therapy. It's about a 10 minute procedure. Um, recovery's pretty immediate. You can go golfing the next day. Can't guarantee you're going to be a better golfer though. Uh, and your, uh, um, you know, that could buy us a year and a half or two years and, and we can repeat it. So that's what we're striving for. And that's the place that really is the sweet spot. There's so many more moderate stage patients than late stage patients. And, um, you know, that the evidence that that adoption can occur comes directly from SLT, that earlier stage procedure that's been around for about 20 years. So that's why we think that it's a very large opportunity for us and um, focused on getting that adoption in that stage. And that's both glaucoma specialists as well as the comprehensive ophthalmologist who has a broader set of patients. And this allows them to manage that patient longer, do an initial procedure, make more revenue out of that patient, before they may need to refer them for a more uh, advanced surgical procedure. Thanks, that's great. And by the way, nothing can make me a better golfer, so don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I think uh, getting glaucoma might make me a better golfer. When I can't see, I, I don't seem to do well when I can. Right, well, karate kid, right? <laughs> so. But uh, hey, what, one last one for me, um, and it kind of relates to what Maj said or was asking about, and that is, but more specifically about the G6. And so it sounds like you had some manufacturing problems with that in the past that you've redesigned it. It sounds like it's going well. If I understand it correctly, there's also some uh, new instructions uh, for, for the doctors on how, how to do that, basically you know, slowing down the treatment a little bit. Um, can you just comment about how that's, you know, the, these changes have influenced outcomes, uh, what the doctors are seeing, what they're saying as it relates to that, and then you know, uh, hopefully reducing negative yeah. side effects? Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, we, we launched um, a new version of the probe or revised version of the probe. And um, what we learned, so it doesn't matter whether it's our device, our segment, any, any area. And I've, I'm kind of an early market penetration guy. So I've been across a lot of different segments. It's my second stint in ophthalmology. I was around when the eczema lasers were first approved. Um, for what's now LASIK procedure. Uh, when you launch a product, you think you've got it right, but you don't know what you don't know. And you learn that in the first you know, couple of years. And so we learned that this procedure, while it seems quite simple to sweep a laser, uh, sweep a probe across the eye and put laser energy into that structure behind the eye, the original probe had a lot of nuance in technique that was required to uh, get it right in order to get the outcomes. And, and what we found was that it wasn't easy for the physicians to realize it and do it right. And we had moved on, as I described, to get the next guys on board and train them up. And the original guys weren't getting the results and, and were lagging off of the procedure. And, and we weren't growing the probes at the, at the rate we could or should have grown them. Um, and that, that caused us to shift the approach. And, and we made that shift when I came in, uh, in the, starting the third quarter of 2019. Um, but we also had in the works an improvement to the device itself. So what we've done is we've, um, basically set the probe up so that it matches the curvature of the eye and then the curvature of the uh, edge of the iris so that when you place the probe, it's in exactly the right location. The energy from the fiber is coming out and pointed right at the sweet spot of that ciliary body that we're trying to treat. And that the coupling, the gel, because this is laser energy and you need a fluid coupling, that that um, stays in contact. And I'm, I'm getting a little technical in the description here, but just so you understand the challenges that emerged from use of the first probe, we tried to address in this new version of the probe and, and we've succeeded in that. But what remains, and this is what we're working through right now, is exactly what 
energy setting do you use? What speed do you sweep? Because you can imagine um, uh, passing your hand over the top of a candle. If you go fast, you're not going to get much heating. You, you know, it might sense that there's some heat, but you're not going to get uh, burn or any tissue change. And, the, and as you slow down, you get more and more. This is exactly analogous to that because we're trying to heat that tissue up. There's collagen in that structure. And if you've ever cooked a steak, it, a nice thick T-bone shrinks down in, in thickness as you cook it, even if it's um, only medium rare. And so that mechanism of heating it to the appropriate level so that it shrinks and stays shrunk to deliver the durability is a continuing um, adjustment. And it's complicated somewhat by the fact that you have higher pigmented eyes and lower pigmented eyes. Pigmentation is a key absorber of the energy and therefore heater of that tissue. And so a lot of this stuff you work through empirically. And so we um, continue to do that work. We've, we've just advanced our tissue modeling. So we have a very good understanding of, of what we do to the tissue and how we do it and, and really reflect that in our guidance for the physicians. But at the end of the day, you have to take them through that process. They have to do it, see the results on the patients and get excited about it. And so we, we're working through those things and we think that, um, that that's going to just um, gain more and more um, uh, success and, and give people confidence. And we're also working with a physician group of advisors, uh, key opinion leaders, to put out a position paper on, on TLT, much like a society would put out um, uh, that talks about what are the appropriate patients, what's the pre-op, what's the treatment itself, post-op, um, you know, any complications or adverse events, well, how do you deal with them? Uh, and, and we will um, have that published and we're working on having that come out um, later this year. So a number of things we're working on all at enhancing the consistency and confidence of the physicians in this treatment. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Do you have anything else, Maj, that you wanted to ask? Yeah, just one, one question. Thanks, Aaron. I mean, um, when you look at the, your company, Dave, and you look at the industry and what's going on, you know, what makes you not sleep at night? What do you, what's the one thing that worries you? Uh, the one, one or two risks that you worry about moving forward here? Um, you know, it, for us, I, I believe it's, it's all about the adoption rate. And um, there's not a lot of um, sleeplessness other than, you know, how do we accelerate this, this pace? How do we, um, what's the magic bullet for uh, our sales reps to deliver a pitch and have the fishing go, aha, I have it. You know, I was traveling with one of our reps uh, not so long ago and got an incoming call from a physician saying, um, I was talking to Dr. So-and-so and I'm ready to start doing this. I want, I need, I understand I have to get certified. I need to do a certain number of patients. So so I'll get those organized and, um, and uh, you know, let's pick some dates and come in and do the proctoring. And, and those are the things that um, give you great encouragement that all these activities are, are building up. You know, the, the, I'm a big believer in, in, in the S-curve of penetration that, you know, early on you're pounding away on, on a relatively lower upslope but you hit a critical mass and adoption steepens and, and accelerates. And things like that incoming call, calls from a, a surge center administrator saying, I need a quote for this Cyclo-G6 system and some of these probes. We have a new doctor coming in and they use it and they wanna have it here. And uh, I mean, those are the things that uh, you know are evidence of accelerating adoption. The recognition that this is something I should be doing and I need to get going and, and do it on a, a higher and higher percentage of my patients. How do we accelerate that process is probably our, our, our biggest challenge. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, thank you, Mosh. Thank you, Dave. We appreciate your time. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Happy to answer any other questions. Um,
but if our time is up, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm available. Uh, you know, anytime. We usually try to go into a quiet period before sure. the end of the quarter and then until announcement. But uh, but but happy to schedule calls with people for um, for follow up information or other other questions. Yeah, I appreciate that. We'll definitely. I'm sure many of us will be following up down down the road and probably want to have you back uh, on for an update here at some point. So thank you very much. Yeah, we're very enthused about the opportunity. We, you know, we're pleased with the uptick in the stock price from <laughs> uh, yeah. what we consider to be depressed level last year, but we still think at you know at approximately two times or so of revenue. You know, in the medical device space, we still think that's a, a pretty cheap valuation. So, so right. we're working hard at uh, at proving out our evidence base and showing posting posting numbers and uh, and on hoping investors recognize the upside of our opportunity. Thank you. Have a good evening. Some or all the speakers may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. The views in this podcast expressed are those of the speakers and non-breaking investors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Neither Breckett Investors nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information presented by this podcast and any liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, therefore is expressly disclaimed. No one on this podcast is an investment advisor. No one is providing investment advice. Before investing in any company's stock, you must do your own research. Thank you for listening.